0: So some of you know know that we have been going through a four-week. This is the fourth and the final week that we'll be going through uh, our series called Play for Peace, Eight Keys to a Lighter Heart. And so we have spent our time really focusing on a very short four-verses passage in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 Verses 6 through 9. That's really been our text. So this is our fourth week. We're coming back to that text again because it is power-packed. It is so critical in us understanding how to experience God's incomprehensible peace. And so what I want to do is I want to begin by um, reading verses 6 and 7, which has really been the heart kind of of what we've looked at so far. Philippians 4. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, for those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks, Kondo did us a huge favor and he simplified if we want to call it kind of a formula, certainly four steps that flow right out of verse six. Tell God, ask God, thank God, repeat. Right? You want to say it with me? That'd be fun. Tell God, ask God, thank God, repeat. One more time. I feel like I'm a, a robust constructor here. Tell God, God, Ask God, thank God, repeat. That is right out of there. It says, in everything with prayer, that's tell God. By tell God, what we mean is be honest with God. Oh, there's a novel thought. You mean don't make your prayers always very flowery and very theological and very, you know, sanitized. No. Be honest with God. Guess what? He already knows how you feel. He already knows you're upset. He already knows you're disappointed or whatever you might be. Ask God. Share your heart with him. Share your desire with him. Now, one of the things about sharing your your desire, God, I really, really want you to fill in the blank, is that always has to be with the spirit of submission, right? Your will be done. But ask God for what is on your heart. I love the passage where it says... Um, That we are to ask, ask, seek, knock. And those verbs in in the original language in the Greek are continuous. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. God is fine with us um, continuing to ask him over and over. But again, our heart needs to be submitted to his will and his plan, right? And then thank him. With thanksgiving, it says. Thank him. Thank him that he's a good father. Thank him that he is powerful and can accomplish whatever he chooses to accomplish. Thank him that he has your best in mind always. I go there as much as I possibly can when I think about my father who wants what is the very best for me. Not the very easiest for me, right? But the very best as he defines best. And then repeat. <laughs> Why? Because you don't just pray once and say, it's all good. It's all good. No, because these these thoughts, these worries, these anxieties in our lives just creep back in and creep back in. And we open the door and let them back in, right? So tell God, ask God, thank God, repeat. That's really helpful. That has been helpful for me over the last couple months to think that way. So... That's what I wanted to just make sure we remember as we look, especially at verses 6 and 7. Um, and then let's jump into verse 8. Okay. Finally, brothers and sisters. And the reason why Paul says finally here is this, this is the end of the book of Philippians. After this portion, he'll have a few, you know, so-and-so greets you and do kind of what he typically does at the end of a, of a letter. But he says here, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, we've spent the last couple weeks, three weeks, actually, looking at these characteristics. You know, the object of our focus, the object of our thinking is what he is talking about. And Paul uses this word whatsoever or whatever is. And then he gives us these six qualities, these six characteristics. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And we've kind of gone through those word by word over the last few weeks, and that's been incredibly helpful to me. Essentially, what Paul is saying is these words are the litmus test for whether or not you experience God's peace. So when you and I focus on things that are part of this list of six We'll experience God's peace in a greater way in our lives. Where, we, where our eyes fixate, where our minds dwell, means a great deal to the condition of our soul and of our heart. And, and we know that. We've heard that. Some of us have even said that to other people. But is that your experience? Where our eyes fixate, where our minds dwell, matters a great deal when it comes to our peace. Now, what I want to focus on, verse 8, my, my piece that I want to really focus on this morning is found in verse 8. And it's that phrase, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. You'll notice I have that in italics or in, in bolden uh, in verse 8. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy. And you notice that he uses the word anything. And that was really helpful to me to think about that. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that's where your mind needs to dwell as well. And so I said to myself, okay, so the only place my mind should dwell is not just reading my Bible and listening to Christian music and watching Christian movies (laughs) or whatever. That includes everything that is excellent and worthy of praise. And the reason why this is so beautiful to me is that's a whole lot of God's creation, right? You know, what is excellent? It's everything God created. That's what is excellent. And let me tell you what happens when... I take the time when maybe some of us take the time when we put our phones down, we get out of the noise and the racket of life, and we take a walk. (laughs) And we walk through the woods, and we look at God's creation. And at night, we look up at the stars on a clear night. When we walk on trails, when we go and see mountains, when we walk along the seashore of a beautiful ocean, whatever it might be, that's excellent because <laughs> God made it. God created it. And I don't know about you, but when I do that, when especially Kathy and I, when we do that and we just enjoy, no, it's not enjoying nature. It is enjoying the handy work of the almighty God of the universe. That's what it is. And that's, my friends, is why it is excellent. And when we do that, and all the other noise of life is gone. And you literally soak it in. How can you do anything as a believer but glorify God? Praise God. I mean, just start singing to God if you want. If the people around you, they might think you're weird. Who cares? You know, just glorify God. And so that's why we read this incredible verse. In Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. My friends, God's fingerprints are all over the world. They are. And so that's why I fix my mind is on what is excellent because God created it. That's really helpful to me. That's really helpful to think where my my mind should dwell. And when I put on the the lenses, when I am reminded constantly as I look at God's incredible creation that it is a reflection of his majesty. It's a reflection of his character. Aren't you glad that God thinks beauty is a good thing? Aren't you glad that the world is not black and white and gray? That'd be nasty. That'd be terrible. (laughs) Yeah, God likes beauty. It's a really, 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 really big deal of him, and it's to him, and it's a reflection of who he is. The heavens declare the glory of God. But you want to know what God's greatest creation is? It's not the Grand Canyon. It's not the Rocky Mountains. It's you and me. So maybe tomorrow morning when you get up out of bed, the first time you look in the mirror, say, you are God's greatest creation. Might need a little work but you still are God's greatest creation. You say that to yourself because you are. Why? Because none of these other things that God has created have been created in the image of God, just you and me, right? We are created in God's image. That's so incredible. Here's how the psalmist said it. In Psalm 8, verses 3 through 5. When I consider, this is David, by the way, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind, that you are mindful of them, human beings, that you take care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. We are God's greatest creation. Are we flawed? Yes. Are we sinners? Yes. Are we not yet what we shall be? Yes. But we were created in his image, in his likeness. We are sons and daughters of Adam. And we're his greatest creation. And so when we talk about his excellencies, we are his greatest. And, you know, I was thinking about that and thinking about... You know, the excellent things, we would almost call it, we do call it the genius, the genius of incredible music, the genius of emotionally moving art, the genius of watching athletes. You know, the Olympics are coming up this week. You know, the beauty, the excellency of God through people. Can that be appreciated? Can that be, um, again, a reflection of him? Yes. You see, my friends, one of the incredible beauties of being a believer is everything goes back to him. That's That's why, you know, humility is an enormous deal to God for us. But we're created in his image. And even the, you know, the discoveries in the field of medicine and, and science and all of these incredible things that, that people, quote, discover point to him. They point to him. And so when I, when I think about everything that is excellent and praiseworthy, it's all around us. Certainly it is God's word, but it's not exclusively God's word. It's what he has made. It's what he is the author of and what he has created. Let our minds dwell there. I want to give you a little challenge, okay? I think one of the most important things you and I need to learn to do is uh, put down our phones, turn them off. You know, this would be fun. Tell your five-year-old to hide your phone. I just thought of that. Hide it anywhere in our neighborhood you want to. Oh, my goodness. There you go. And so my point is turn off the noise, turn off the chatter, and instead of looking down, look up. (laughs) Look out on an incredible sunrise. Yeah, some of you, the sun does rise, you know. You can even watch it when you get up early. It's a good thing. Or sunset. Turn off the noise. I, I, I call it that. I say, Lord, I need to turn off the noise in my life. Um, and that really does emanate primarily from my phone. It does. The passage says in verse 8, think about such things. All of these beautiful objects, the excellency of God, the creation of God, all the things in this life that we enjoy, enjoy. think about these things. But the word is not think like, oh, yeah, I gave that a thought. That's not the word here. The word is ponder. In other versions, it's translated dwell upon. In another translation, it's translated meditate on. In another translation, I looked at quite a few translations of this word. It says, think continually about. So where our mind dwells, what we ponder, what we meditate on, my friends, is profoundly important as it relates to peace and rest in our spirit and in our soul. It really, really does. And I want to tell you, you have more choice and power over that than you might think. Well, my boss said, I have to have my phone on it all the time. Get a new job. Get a new boss. That's even better. No, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. Oops. Who knows? Whatever. But no, no. Nobody has that kind of control should of your life. Even Jesus gives you lots of freedom, Right? Here's another thing. I'm I want to give you my 10-minute challenge, okay? Here's my 10-minute challenge. I'll, I'll I'll get there in just a second because I want to talk about a a uh personal silent retreat. All the noise out of your life. Quiet. No phone, no music. I love music. No podcast talking to you. One of the things I do, I, I like to work out at, at the Y in the mornings. And, um, boy, now I sound like I'm indicting people. I don't want to. It's been really wonderful for me to not have earbuds in or the TV on. Sometimes I'll put on the virtual tour because I ride, ride a bike. Put on a virtual tour and get to see some beautiful scenery all over the world. But there's something incredibly valuable about Quiet. Silence. So when I talk about a, a, a silent retreat, some of you say, I don't have a weekend. No, no, no. We're not talking about a weekend. We say, I don't have a day to do that. We're not talking about a day. Ten minutes. Everything turned off. Sit in silence. For ten minutes. And don't look at your phone or your Watch. Oh Man, it's, I'm sure it's been 10 minutes, two minutes and 43 seconds. Oops, don't do that. I mean, maybe you can put your alarm on, who knows? But 10 minutes, and if you never do that, it'll feel like an hour. But you know what? When you do it again, because this is something I have begun to do quite a bit in my life, sit quietly, and here's a prayer. Holy Spirit, bring to my mind what you want me to think about what you want me to ponder, what you want me to meditate on. Because often, because I try to spend time in the word every day, many of you do too as well, well, just try to spend time in God's word. He will bring scripture to mind. Sometimes he'll bring other things to mind. And yeah, sometimes it'll be a concern or it'll be a difficult thing. But there's something when you say, Holy Spirit, bring to mind what you want me to ponder. It's pretty incredible. It'll be a good thing. It'll be something he wants you to reflect on. It'll be, it'll be truth. It might be a person who needs you to take that time to pray for them. The Holy Spirit likes to bring to mind things that maybe we're ignoring, things that maybe you and I don't think about, but they're really important to him. A 10-minute silent retreat this week. You consider it, I'll tell you what, do it tomorrow, and then do it on Tuesday if you like it, do it on Tuesday if you don't like it, because it'll get better, but just take 10 minutes, and just sit quietly before the Lord, and ponder, reflect on what he brings to mind, really, it's pretty incredible how that becomes something in your life that you learn to enjoy, (laughs) And when I've done it, and here's another thing you can do. That breathing thing is good. That breathe out, breathe in. I have a an Apple Watch. Any of you have that? And the little breathing thing, ding, time to breathe. You think I've been holding my breath all day or what? You know, that's what I want to say. Time to breathe. Do your minute breathing. It's like, I like this. This is good for me. I want you to learn. to ponder, to be quiet. It is possible, and it's incredibly rewarding. Okay, I need to keep moving here. So ponder, ponder, think about these things. Let me, um, let me move on into verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Put it into practice. As valuable as pondering truth, pondering what the Spirit brings to mind, how important that is. We don't just live there. We have to put into practice truth. We have to do it. We have to live it out. That's the point. Okay, let me tell you a trap. Some of you will be able to relate with me to this. Here's a trap for Christians, especially Christians who have had the privilege over the years to sit under good Bible teaching. And you've been blessed by by those who teach God's word and people who study scripture themselves. Here's the trap. I can learn scripture without feeling that I have to live it because I've learned scripture. Ask me any Bible question you want. You know, I'm really knowledgeable of God's word. We might say that is not the test. Pondering is great, but it has to be put into practice. You do not automatically become godly because you read God's word. We need to put it into practice. We need to live it out. We need to ask ourselves the question, how is God's word transforming me? Not how knowledgeable am I becoming? And for those of us who love to study, for those of us, especially some of us who like to teach or whatever else we may do, it is a trap. It is a deception, I think, from Satan that if I know it, I automatically do it. No, you don't. No, I do not. It needs to be put into practice. So here's a question I want to ask. How do I know whether or not I am really growing spiritually if the test is my behavior? Am I being transformed? Am I becoming more like Jesus? Okay, here's what I want you to consider doing, and it'll sound scary. Sit down with a person who knows you best. Look him or her in the eyes and say, please be honest with me. Do you think I am more like Jesus, more spiritually mature, more consistent in living out God's word today Than I was a year ago. And then brace yourself. And say. Please. Be honest. With me. Why not? And what you might find. Is some beautiful affirmation. Oh man. I think of where you were a year ago. I think of where you are now. In terms of patience. I think of where you are now in terms of just not telling me every single day how stressed out you are. I think of where you are in terms of how you've been just so more committed, it seems like, to, um, to read your Bible. Oh, yeah. God's doing some, some neat things in your life, and I want to celebrate that with you. And it's like, wow, I am so glad I asked. But then you might get something very different. And by the way, you don't get a pass because it's almost two years of COVID, okay? Some people say, nah, COVID, you know, we get a pass for everything because of COVID. Not in terms of spiritual growth. Some people have said, maybe you have said, I have grown more spiritually during COVID than before COVID. And I'm like, praise God. Man, you're my hero, (laughs) Because often, isn't it in the really hard times that God does his deepest work? That is so incredibly true. It is. So maybe that that special person in your life who you are just being super vulnerable with says, "Um, no, I love you, but no, you haven't grown. You've kind of regressed. You're so much more impatient. You don't talk to me. You kind of hide. You kind of go into hiding when you're home from work. The kids want to know what's wrong with dad. What do you want me to tell them? The measure is our behavior, my friends. The measure is, are we being changed? Are we being transformed by the word? Not just, are we more biblically knowledgeable? Because as Paul said, knowledge can do what? It can puff up. And I think that's a big part of being puffed up is, I know so much scripture, of course I'm a godly person. Wrong. No. Is it changing you? Is it changing you? So be willing to be vulnerable with people who know you best. Hopefully the people who know you best love you the most. Maybe that's a big assumption, but that's the way it's supposed to be. That may be a spouse. That may be a, a, a super, super close friend. It may be a sibling. It may be a parent. It may be a grandparent. It may be a child. Who knows who that person or those people are? But I don't think I do enough in my life to get super honest feedback about where I am spiritually. And most people are too nice to say, hey, man. I think you're around a 3.7 on a scale of 10. It's like, oh, okay, I think I can get that up to four by tomorrow. <laughs> get it up to five, get it up to six. You know, why not? Why not say, Lord, I want 2022 to be a significant year of growth. And I'm going to fix my mind on things that will promote growth like your word and like your greatness and I am going to put into practice the things I'm learning so practice practice live it that's his point back to verse 9 I highlighted something else in verse 9 maybe you saw it whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me did you see that or seen in me the first three words kind of relate to Paul's teaching. But now he says, or seen in me. I think he's reminding us of the power of godly examples or godly role models in our lives. You know, it was not arrogant for the apostle Paul to say on numerous occasions, follow me as I follow Christ. Why did Paul say that? Because Paul is like unbelievably humble. That was not a statement of arrogance. I believe that the apostle Paul recognized that often the best way we learn how to live a godly life is to observe and watch and be with people who live godly lives. Right? I call it presence. Being in the presence of people who live out their Christianity incredibly well. Faithfully. Through great times, through incredibly hard times, they are role models to us. And that's why Paul says here, and what you have seen in me. And isn't that incredibly true? I am one of those super blessed people, I am, who can name about eight or nine men over my 40 plus years of being a Christian who have been exemplary, godly role models to me I could call them mentors I could call them older brothers in the faith whatever it might be but there is something about watching a person live out their Christianity well that is powerful right and what greater context should that happen than in our own homes you are your kid's role model. We are our kid's role model. And some of us who are grandparents, I feel like I, Kathy and I, have a significant role modeling relationship with our grandchildren as well. You may say, I'm not ready to be a role model, but I'm ready to hang around somebody whose life I greatly admire whose walk with Christ I want to emulate. Seek that person out. Say, is there any way I can take you out to breakfast, take you out to coffee, whatever, and just kind of ask you some questions about your walk with Jesus? I really admire what I see in your life. And usually those people are super humble and say, oh, I don't know. It's like, no, really. I think I can learn a lot from you. I think that should be happening all over the church, my friends. I think that should be the norm in a church that there are godly people who are willing to make sure they're available to be helpful, to certainly share our struggles, but to share the victories that God has given us with those who are younger than us. You are a role model to somebody. I'm sure you are. Um, And that can be a beautiful thing. It can be a powerful, transforming thing. Paul completes verse 9 with this phrase, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. I like to call this the payoff. This is the payoff. As we do these other things well, this is the payoff. The God of peace will be with you. Now, as I, I read that portion of the verse, I just really started thinking, you know, I wonder wonder if there's something deeper here that Paul is saying than just God's with you. Because Jesus promised, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you, right? So as a child of God, we experience God's presence all the time. But what we've just read in these verses, 6, 7, 8, 9, what we've just read are some kind of conditions we need to ponder truth. We need our, our minds to focus on these qualities, these excellencies. We need to put into practice these things into, into our lives. And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. And so as I, I thought about this, it's not an issue of is God present with us. So I, I came up with a, with a sentence I wanted to share with you that for me is helpful I have as children of God, we are promised his presence, but we don't always experience his closeness. What do I mean by that? Read the Psalms. Read much of the Old Testament, but especially the Psalms. As you and I read the Psalms, what do we read? We read, God, where are you? God, you know, you're for my enemies, God, you know, and these are godly people like David and other people who write, who wrote the Psalms. You see, here's the thing about relationships, and we're in a relationship with God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are God's children, right? We have put our faith in Jesus given of our sins, we become part of God's family. So we have a relationship with God. Relationships have spiritual and relational dynamics to them. It's true with people. You know, you might be married to somebody, deeply committed to somebody, and some days you feel very close to that person, and some days you feel very distant, right, from that person. And there's a sense in which I believe that can happen with the Lord. He doesn't kick us out of his family. But there's a a distance, we might call them. Maybe we're angry because he's not answering prayer. Maybe we just have kind of jumped into sin in our lives and um, are ashamed to even pray, whatever it might be. I think this passage... Philippians 4, 6 to 9 is not just about how do we get peace in our lives as opposed to anxiety. I think it's a passage about intimacy with God. I really do. I think these are the the steps, the tools of how to draw near to God in a very close, intimate way. And the peace of God will rule literally in your life. And that's such a beautiful thing to me. You know, I want a closeness with the Lord. And that's why when I talk about turning everything off, getting rid of the noise in your life and the busyness of your life and just being quiet before him is such a beautiful thing to do. It becomes kind of addictive in a good way, I think, as we ponder him, as we open the scriptures and have him speak to us. As our mind dwells, as we look up at the incredible creation and know that that majestic God of the universe is in control of your life and of all things. It's about intimacy. It's about closeness with him. That's what this passage is about to me. So I want to I want to wrap up with two questions. Two, like, little application questions that I want to ask you to consider. Number one, will you take some time this week to ponder the truth of God's word and the excellency of his creation? And that's my 10-minute of silence challenge. To ponder the truth of God's word and the excellency of his creation. My second assignment question, whatever. Will you and I put into practice and live out what God has said? Will we be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word? God wants you to be close to him. And how we fill our mind and how we live it out makes a big, big difference. I pray that the Lord will will make that true and real in each of our lives this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage, this series that we've had. I pray, Father, that each one of us would just really um, carve out time, make time to be quiet before you. Lord, what a blessing and what a, a, a treasured time I know it can become. I pray, Father, that we would be doers. Help us not to, to buy into the lie that if I know the Bible, I automatically live the Bible. Lord, we know we don't. So help us, help us to not fall into that trap. Lord, help us to be a blessing to one another. Help us to be honest with each other. Help us to spur one another on to love and good deeds and closeness to Christ. And Father, how we long for an intimate, close walk with you. Help us to eliminate the barriers and the hindrances in our lives to that. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.